this is what's going to be put up uh, on the website. So if you're out of town in Tennessee this summer or something or other, you can go and, and listen to that. We're also video recording in the back, and so we hope to be able to um, sync up the audio in, in the video. But if you can't hear me, let me know, okay? So I'm going to try and project the, the acoustics in here are just a little bit different, uh, certainly something not, that I'm not used to. Matthew 4, beginning with verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in dark have seen a great light, on those living in the land, the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the gospel of the Lord to which we say, Thanks, Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, we are grateful to gather as your people on this beautiful morning. We're grateful, God, for an opportunity to open your word, to listen to it, to reflect, to consider. God, we are grateful for the ways in which you meet us in all seasons of our lives and challenges. God, we are grateful for the meal that we are about to receive this morning as we share in Holy Communion together. God, as we reflect a little bit this morning, May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I want to begin by uh, just saying thank you uh, to many of you who came to the installation service last weekend. Uh, I thought it was great. I thought it was wonderful to have so many of you and others come. And, and I know not all of you were able uh, to be there last Sunday afternoon. Um, but uh, you, you sent me notes and said, hey, I'm not going to be there, but just know that I'm praying for you and Faith Lutheran Church, and, and I'm there with you in spirit. And so I just want to say thank you uh, to those of you who were able to participate last weekend, but then also those of you uh, who have been so faithful in your prayers and support along the journey. You know, this has been a really interesting summer for me. Uh, in fact, a summer like a few others that I can remember. I found myself the past few weeks visiting other congregations in the community uh, around the area, but I've also kind of found myself uh, out of town uh, for various different things um, just because I could, and uh, that's been great as well. One of the things I've really enjoyed about the summer is uh, that I've been able to spend a lot of time out at the baseball field. Uh, my boys uh, have played baseball and soccer and a number of things that uh, I just, I've missed a lot of ball games uh, through the years uh, on weekends, Saturdays and Sundays, because I work on Saturdays and Sundays, right? Uh, but this summer, I have been able to attend a lot of baseball games and I have just thoroughly enjoyed spending time out at the ball field and doing, frankly, what a lot of other people do on, on Saturdays and, and Sunday morning even. And uh, it's been great. And I've been thinking back a little bit uh, over uh, the years as my boys have now gotten a little bit older of 
some of our ball adventures together, mostly soccer and, and baseball. And, and many, many years ago, it was about 12 years ago, I think, in fact, when Logan uh, was about nine years old, um, he was playing baseball. And uh, I'm a horrible baseball player, by the way. But I thought, you know, I could probably coach nine-year-olds, right? I mean, how much skill does it really take uh, to coach nine-year-old boys? And uh, so I did. I just signed up uh, to coach uh, Logan's nine-year-old baseball team. And, and I'm pretty sure that summer those boys didn't learn a whole lot of baseball skills because I didn't have anything really to offer them. I just kind of um, made it up uh, every time I went to practice or to a game. You know, it was, it was great fun. But, you know, I am sure that those boys that summer had a lot of fun. They had a lot of fun playing baseball. I know I had a lot of fun coaching them that summer. And I remember uh, of all the times as we got together to play baseball and I was coaching uh, Logan's nine-year-old team, there was, it was the end of the season and uh, the, the boys were kind of sick and tired of doing drills. And so I said to the other coach, hey, why don't we just scrimmage? Let's just split up the boys. You'll be on one team, I'll be on the other team. And let's just have scrimmage. And of course the boys thought that was great fun. They just said, we're in. Let's play baseball, enough of the drills. And so I was excited. And so I remember coming up to bat and I remember hitting, and again, I'm a terrible baseball player, but I remember hitting a ball and it went out into the outfield. And so I raced right on by first base and I was full sprint. I'm, I'm sure I was yelling and screaming and being very dramatic and I knew it was gonna be a close call at second. And so I remember, I'm gonna show these boys how one needs to properly slide into second base. <laughs> And so I thought I'm going to do the biggest, most dramatic slide into second base ever. And I got to tell you, I did. And it was big and it was bold and there was dust and dirt and everything flying everywhere. And I have no idea to this day if I was safe or if I was out. What I remember is after I slid into that base, that I was wearing shorts. <laughs> and I remember the extraordinary pain searing up and down my leg from my ankle to my knee. All the skin was gone. And my leg, my shin, it was covered with dirt and gravel and all the good things around second base. And it was so painful. <laughs> And I remember looking at those boys and they're like, oh, are you okay, coach? And I'm like, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> and I'm gritting my teeth and I'm hobbling around for the rest of the game. And I felt so good about that big dramatic slide into second base. Honestly, I couldn't wait to get home to clean it off because it really hurt. <laughs> but I noticed by the time I got home, it was throbbing so much that I didn't want to do much with my wound on my leg. So when I went to take a shower, I just kind of drizzled a little bit of water over it. I thought, oh, it'll heal in time. And for the next couple days, it continued to throb and it continued to hurt. And I continued to just put a little bit of water on it and it wasn't getting better. Pretty soon it was starting to ooze. 
and it was throbbing more and more and it was getting redder and redder and I soon discovered the only way to heal that wound was to go in with a washcloth and scrub and scrub and scrub until it bled and then I had to keep scrubbing and scrubbing until I got all that dirt all that gravel out of my shin it was a painful lesson for me in leaving something alone something that was painful something that I didn't want to deal with and I think in our own lives as we experience hurts and pains and struggles and how often we are reluctant to deal with those things because well it just hurts right we'd rather not we'd rather just dust ourselves off and say I'm okay we'd rather just grit our teeth and say I am just gonna bear through this I'm just gonna push through the pain in my life until we can't and we hit the wall and whatever that wall might be in our lives this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about sin. Sin in our lives and the ways in which all of us have sin in our lives. And it, in, in, as it comes into our lives, it fills us with hurt, with pain, and infection. So how do we deal with that sin in our lives? And oftentimes, I think when we think about sin in our lives, we just deny it, don't we? Oh, my sin isn't really that bad. My sin isn't really hurting that much. And oh, my sin, we just kind of minimize it. We say, oh, I, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm more of a person who makes mistakes in my life. My sin is not that big of a deal. And we kind of think of ourselves as mistakers, don't we? We minimize our sin. But the truth is, when we really pause and reflect and think about our sin, all sin is toxic and all sin ultimately leads to death. If we don't deal with our sin, we're in big trouble. And God knows that we needed to deal with our sin. And so, of course, God sent his son, Jesus, to come into the world to bring healing and restoration to the places of sin in our lives. This morning, as I want to go back over this story just a little bit, back over Matthew 4, I want us to think about the sin in our lives and how do we deal with our sin. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, that of course is John the Baptist, he withdrew to Galilee. Now, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, Galilee is about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. Jerusalem and the surrounding areas is very desertous. Not much grows there. It's a very harsh environment, but not Galilee. Galilee is this wonderful part of the Middle East where it's lush and green. When I think of Galilee, think of Northern California. It's scenic, it's hilly, it's beautiful, good for agriculture. 
It's a great place to live. You look around, it's beautiful. People wanted to live in Galilee because you could grow crops and you could, you could feed your family and you could do some pretty neat things. It was just a fun and beautiful place to live. But it was also densely populated because that's where people wanted to live. They didn't want to live in the desert. And so it was very densely populated. Galilee was a region that had lots of Jews around it, but it also had lots of Gentiles. People who did not follow God. That's who the Gentiles were. They were people who were looking out for themselves. They didn't follow the God of the Jews. And Gentiles are those people that are just kind of walking along, going through life, looking out for good old number one. And the Jewish people were those people that they strove they tried to follow after God. Certainly they had desires to follow their own needs. But Jews prided themselves that they were God followers. And so there's this interesting mix in the region of Galilee. I think it's interesting that it says, Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum. Jesus began his ministry. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. So Jesus went right into the heart of where all the people were, both Jews and Gentiles. And he went into this land where the people were open to lots of new ideas. It was very eclectic. It was very interesting. It was hustling and bustling. And, and that's how Jesus began his ministry, in the midst of all the people where he could have some of the greatest impact in Capernaum. It says, Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Long ago, Isaiah predicted this is where Jesus would begin his ministry among the Gentiles. The people living in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then these are the first words of Jesus as he begins his ministry. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Just a chapter earlier in Matthew 3, John the Baptist is also preaching in the wilderness. Remember what John the Baptist said in his preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus speaks the identical words to John the Baptist. Repent. Turn from your ways. Turn from the ways of living your own way and come back to God. Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven. Other gospel writers talk about the kingdom of God, and Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And if you were a Jew, you were really careful how you spoke about God. In fact, you never spoke the name of God. And so Matthew uses this language of the kingdom of heaven. But Matthew's not talking about a place, heaven. He's talking about God's kingdom right here, right now. And so what Matthew is talking about is he's using Jesus' words, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, is that Jesus is saying to the people, get ready 
for a revolution is about to begin. That's what the people heard. They were hearing Jesus saying, get ready. I'm going to do something new among you people. Get ready. As we think about revolutions today, how many of you remember uh, the revolution from the 1960s uh, in Cuba? Anybody remember the Cuban revolution? You're going to date yourself if you raise your hand. A few of you, yeah. Or maybe the 1970s. I remember vaguely the Iranian revolution. That was a big deal too. I remember in 1989 an attempted revolution in China. Tiananmen Square. When we think about that revolution, and more recently we think about revolutions in Egypt, in Libya, and of course the revolution going on now in Syria. And there's something about a revolution that's very exciting. Because when we hear the word revolution, it means change. Something new is about ready to happen. But there's also something very terrifying about revolution because it means change. Something is about ready to happen. In the midst of a revolution, whatever we think is normal is all of a sudden not normal. And I don't know what revolutions you've gone through in your life recently. But I feel like I've gone through a bit of a revolution in my own life. And revolutions are exciting. Some of you have said, hey, aren't you excited for this new church? Yeah! But I'm also a little bit terrified. (laughs) That's the feeling of a revolution. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven has come, get ready. The people who were there on that day, they lean in on their chairs. And they're thinking to themselves, what are we getting ready? How do we get ready for this revolution? And Jesus says, repent. That's how we get ready for any revolution in our lives, is we repent. Repenting, it literally means when you are walking this direction, turn around, do a 180 degree turn. That's what it means to repent. Now I want to pause just a second here and I want to clarify there's a distinction between confession and repenting. When we gather in worship week after week, just like we said a few moments ago, we did our confession A confession are are those things that we speak with our mouth. It's a way in which we feel contrite about the sins in our lives. Confession is an emotion. Confession is something that we declare with our mouth. God, I have sinned. I have lied. I have stolen. I have been self-absorbed. I've done all these things, God, that have been made life all about me. And God, I'm sorry for the ways in which I have not followed after you. That's confession. It's a declaration with our mouth that, God, I'm sorry for the ways in which I've made life about me. Repentance is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not even a declaration. Repentance is an action. If we do our confession here in worship week after week, 
And we should do that. That's a wonderful thing to declare our sin in the ways in which we feel and experience, want to be contrite about our sin. Repentance is what we do, how we live our lives when we go out the door. It's action. It's not just saying, God, I'm sorry of making life all about me, but it's turning your life about and then no longer making life all about you. That is repentance. That is action. I think it's really interesting when John the Baptist and Jesus come on the scenes, they didn't look at the people and say, hey, think a new way. Believe a new way. They said, act a new way. Stop walking away from God. Turn around and start walking toward God and God's ways. Big distinction there between confession and repentance. I think about Jesus and how oftentimes he would talk to people and he would invite them into a relationship. And I remember one day, two rich guys walked up to Jesus and one of them were told is his name, he was a rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and he was feeling contrite. He was feeling wronged in all the ways in which he had made life all about himself. And he said, good, good rabbi, what must I do to be saved? Remember this story? Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. And you know what the rich young ruler did? Is he walked away sad because he was unwilling to take Jesus' words and put them into action. I think about another rich guy who walked up to Jesus one day. His name was Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? And as Zacchaeus sat up in that tree listening to Jesus, Jesus hollered up, Zacchaeus, come down, come on over, let's talk. Zacchaeus, I want to give you something new. And Zacchaeus jumped out of that tree. And then Jesus went over to Zacchaeus' house. And as Jesus invited Zacchaeus to live a new way, remember what Zacchaeus did? He sold everything and gave every, all his money away. Two different people. They both had contrite hearts. They both confessed their sin to Jesus. Very different outcomes. One walked away sad because he was unwilling to have his behavior match his thoughts. And another walked away leaping and jumping and filled with joy and excitement. Guess which one of these two God wants for you? And for your life, he wants you to experience joy. He wants you to experience what Zacchaeus experienced. Now we hear these stories about these rich people, and we think to ourselves, yeah, that's, I don't know if that's me or not. Well, here, let me help you out. If you drove to church this morning, you are rich. If you know what you're having for lunch today and you've got food in your refrigerator, you are rich. If you know where you're sleeping tonight, you are rich. We all ought to think of ourselves as the rich people, as Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler. We are rich, right? So don't get stuck in the details of whether you feel rich or not. 
The invitation comes to us like it came to these rich people. And Jesus invites us to repent. As we think about what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, one of the hardest things for all of us is to swallow our pride and repent. Most of us just want to go through life. Oh, I can handle it myself. I can handle the pain. I can handle the struggle. I can handle all those things that got in the way along the way. And it's our pride that gets in the way, right? That's why I never cleaned out that wound when I was playing baseball. It was my pride, and it just hurt. And so we go through life neglecting our hurts, our pains, our struggles, and we're too proud to give them over to Jesus. But that's exactly what he wants us to do, is to repent, to turn our lives around and begin walking toward God. People of faith, I want you to hear this morning, there's some good news for you. On this day, you can repent. It's never too late to turn your life around. And so this morning, as we've gathered for worship, we've confessed the ways in which we've fallen short, the ways in which we are sinful, the ways in which we are broken. But the hard work of repenting is what happens when you go out these doors. But here's what I want you to know, is that when you go out of these doors, Jesus goes with you, and he will walk alongside you, and he will help you to turn around and repent. And so this morning, know that Jesus is with you, around you, and holding you as you turn around and walk with him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son who came into this world to meet us, to invite us to live a new way. God, it feels like there's revolutions going on all around us in this world and in our own lives. But you come, and God, you pick us up, you wipe us off, and you take our sin to the cross. Lord, help us to let go of our pride. Help us to let go of our self-centeredness. Help us to let go of all the ways in which we make life all about ourselves. And God, help us to not just make these declarations, but help us to live into these declarations. Teach us every day, Lord, what it means to repent to turn around and follow you. All these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.